579 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Hi, Ben. Hello. I did a thing a couple days ago about how much Hank Aaron would make if he were, if his career were uh, were modern. If he were mm-hmm. basically born the same year that John Carlos Stanton was, mm-hmm. and uh, I used the Play Index constantly throughout that. Just, just so you know. Yeah. Well done. Like over and over and over, just <laughs> nothing but play indexing. Uh-huh. Uh, play indexing is great for many things, but finding comps is about as good a, of a use as, uh, as, as, as you can imagine. That's uh, true, unless you just want to use the baseball reference most similar players list. Uh, yeah, well, but you know the most similar. Have you ever looked into how the most similar lists not up, uh, really. I, mean, I don't know. It's what at the same age, guys well, who have no. They have three different. They have uh, uh-huh. total. They have uh, maybe they only have two. They have total, and then they have through the same age. And, yeah. But uh, so the the formula for doing that is actually was created by Bill James years and years ago. It's Bill James similarity score, I believe. Uh-huh. And it's like it's you start with like a thousand points for any two players, and then you there's a certain amount of point subtracting so for every home run difference that they have you subtract x point for every... ah. <laughs> so uh so it's actually a you know, bill so james really likes this <laughs> convoluted convoluted systems where you add things for certain things and subtract things for other things it reminded me a lot of his uh crime scores in uh-huh. his crime book how he yeah. decided whether a person was uh was was likely guilty uh-huh. uh, that's what it kind of reminded me of that formula so those are so those are fun they're interesting. I used them. I used them for my uh, my piece about how there's only been one twin pitcher. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? <laughs> yes, right. The was... that Brad Radke trade tree or, or Brad Radke family tree. Yeah, exactly. I think that that was like this. Was that like the second thing I wrote for you or something? Was, it was. Yeah, it was early on. there. Anyway, uh, so it's fun, but it's a not era adjusted or park adjusted, and B, it's it's based almost totally on. Uh, on stats that were available to Bill James in 1982. You know, mm-hmm. So it's a lot of playing time, home runs, RBIs, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what were we talking about? Nothing. This is the beginning of the episode. Hello. Hi. Uh, you, got any, uh, you got any hot, hot non-rumors for me? I do. Well, we received one submission from a listener named Nick, and this is one that that was tweeted before we started this non-revelatory rumors segment, but it was noted at the time, and it seems right that we should note it now. Nick says that he can't imagine an ongoing discussion of non-revelatory rumors from this offseason without perhaps the least revelatory rumor of the entire offseason being mentioned. And that is this, which, although it was from November 6th, presumably still applies And this was a John Morosi tweet, and he said, A source says Hiroki Kuroda, who turns 40 in February, 
is mulling over three options. Another MLB season, a season in Japan, or retirement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this rules out... Korea. Korea, this rules out pl- perhaps playing in Europe or Australia. It's... Or uh, playing in... Staying in the U.S., but playing just softball in the park <laughs> on Saturdays. It seems to rule out that he'll do all three at once. Yes, it does. So presumably he is still mulling over those three options. So it was nice to get confirmation of that from a source. So that was clearly non-revelatory. I, uh, as an editor, which I am, and as you are, I I find that reading these a lot of times, the information itself is, is fine. It's that it is not presented in the way that the information is useful. So uh-huh. this one is totally legitimate. You call Hiroki Kuroda and say, Hiroki, what are you what are you thinking? And he goes, <laughs> it is a very difficult decision. As you know, I have three options that I think would all make me very happy. It's difficult because I don't want to retire and give up another chance to play. I don't want to leave the States, but on the other hand, my heart is in Japan and, and I might make more money. It is a very difficult decision, John Paul Morosi. And I continue to mull it over with great seriousness, and I just can't decide yet. Uh-huh. So now, if you take that and tweet what John tweeted, that's exactly true. I've, all of those words are totally true. Mm-hmm. But what you want to say, what you want to get into this short 140-character narrative that you're crafting is that he is laboring over this decision. We know that those are the options. We know mm-hmm. that he, well, I, you, you want to note that he has options because you don't need this tweet for Matt Harvey, right? Matt Harvey's not going to retire. Matt Harvey's not going to go to Japan. I guess you, Matt, you don't need to tweet about Matt Harvey at all. But you don't need this tweet about Chase Headley either. He's not going to retire. He's not going to go to Japan. His options are 30 Major League Baseball teams. Uh-huh. Uh, so you note that Kuroda has these options. That's a good thing to note. Uh, and then you say this is a difficult decision, and he is not closer yet to deciding. And mm. that is it. That is worth a tweet. That is the incremental process of uh, of news gathering that uh, history is made up of. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Or if you could assign percentages, perhaps, probabilities to each of the no, options. That's, that's, that I would disagree with that. There's, those probabilities would be completely fictional. Unless you have Bill James create a way of, <laughs> of uh, calculating those probabilities using a set of uh, 18 to 40 data inputs, uh-huh. uh, I don't want to hear it. Okay. And I have one more submission for I'll this segment. I'll take, I'll take leaning. Leaning, yeah. One more submission for this segment, and this one is from Sunday, late Sunday night, actually. And it's from Scott Lobber, who is the Red Sox reporter for the Boston Herald. And this is the tweet. Source on whether Red Sox's reported agreement with Henley Ramirez will impact offer to Pablo Sandoval? Quote, let's see. <laughs> Unquote. <laughs> uh-huh. Again, we can't rule out that that is not actually uh, a useful tweet that he that came out as he did not intend it. If he's if the point he is making is that the Red Sox are being coy, or that this usually uh, open source has suddenly been uh, has gone dark on him and will only give him generalities, that is interesting. If the if the team is acting cagey or not. That is interesting. Uh-huh. It is not presented in a way that you know what the information is, though. There might, and so you're left to assume that there is no information. In which case, 
that one right there is a great one, a, a really great one, like a, one of the best. Yeah, we'll it's, see. it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to beat that just it is hard in isolation, beat. standing yeah. on its own. It is almost the, uh, right, it is, it is almost meta. It is like, <laughs> it is what we're talking about here. It is <laughs> yeah. a source saying that there is no information, let go tell that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all I've got today. Uh, I would like every time a reporter gets a non-response from a source or not even maybe doesn't even get a reply like i'm gonna maybe i'll text somebody right now i don't have any so i have a couple people who are not sources nobody ever gives me anything but they might be somebody's source and then that person will not reply to me and then i will tweet so and so not replying to text about everything <laughs> right and and just, it would and just do that all imply, day all could imply day. that they're so busy negotiating a deal that they don't have time to answer your text hundreds could of be taken things. many ways because you have to imagine like at what point does and uh like i'm gonna i'm gonna say rosenthal because rosenthal is the best in my opinion he's the best and so if i if i make fun of of him it 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 is clearly not intentionally making fun of him because he's the best. Right. Uh, but I like at what point does a non-response in my scenario become newsworthy? Because then what if Rosenthal tweets, uh, not tweets, uh, texts um, Andrew Friedman and asks about some player, and Friedman doesn't reply? Can he just can Rosenthal just keep on tweeting over <laughs> like like a constant stream of no reply, no reply? <laughs> It's like 75 or 80 for every unreplied text. <laughs> he could. He might lose some followers. Or Yeah. Yeah. He might. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think he would. <laughs> no, he probably wouldn't. <laughs> my, my theory about fame, my hypothesis about internet fame, of fame in the internet era, mm. is that if you, you can tell if you're famous because if you do something offensive or horrible, you gain followers, uh-huh. whereas if you're not famous, like if I tweeted something yeah. horrible, then I would lose followers. Right. Where, but whereas, uh, you know, like, uh, if, uh, not that Keith ever would, but like if Keith Law did, he would just gain followers. Like Keith could tweet anything, and the more, like if it were horrible and awful and totally out of character, he would get followers out of it. So that's famous. Right. Yeah. Okay. How much, actually, I want to see if Keith gained any followers since... Uh, since the thing, uh, three thousand. Uh-huh. <laughs> as many as I thought. He was on yeah. the list. Uh, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, so I was going to talk about Chase Headley uh, mm-hmm. today, and I think that we'll, we'll end up talking more about Pablo Sandoval and uh, Hanley Ramirez uh, in in the context of Chase Headley. But we've we've danced around it twice. We we talked about how Headley was what what do we call him the uh, generic alternative to Pablo Sandoval, the generic uh-huh. And then a couple days later, uh, we thought that you picked him for your great Jim Bowden challenge. You thought that the estimates for how much he would make were way low. Yes, three three years, 27 million it was. Exactly. And by the way, that contest is going to be my my version of your $200 million team. <laughs> I'm going to get, I think all five of mine actually end up being wrong and all five of those might end up being right. It's looking good so far. It's the, looking the, bad the so far. Sound of all rumors, you, you went with the under on him and that's yeah. not looking great. And I no. went with the over on, on Hanley and that's looking pretty good right now. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so I wanted to though get a little bit more into this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because Chase Headley, uh, it seems to me that there that that there is a everybody has written a piece this week. It seems to me about how Chase Headley is an undervalued free agent. Uh, some of them are more strenuous in their arguments than others, um, but. Uh, Dan Simborski has uh, shown uh, that his Zips system would, you know, basically. I think if I, I might be mis. I think I remember that he tweeted that Headley would uh, Zips likes Headley more than Sandoval contracts contracts ignored. Yeah, that is so, that is definitely the case for Steamer, the Steamer projection system. Uh, I think. Okay. Yeah. Hed- oh yeah. yeah. Is, Zips hasn't. I don't. Has Zips run? Maybe Zips hasn't even run yet. I don't think. Publicly, I think Dan can run it for whoever he wants when he's writing about someone. But, uh-huh. but right, the only like widely available public system at this point in the year is Steamer, and it has Headley at three point eight WAR for next year and Sandoval at three point six. So in like the same playing time. And so basically, everybody that you follow has written or believes that Headley at you know the the estimated. Uh, 30 million or so is a huge deal compared to Pablo at the estimated 90 or so who doesn't seem to even be that significantly better as a ball player and th- it's it feels like the the opinion on one side is so overwhelmingly that this is the case um, and yet you don't hear any particular sense from the league that this is the case you don't I mean nobody thinks that that Headley's going to get a hundred million dollars from a team right I haven't it, heard that. No. So I'm, I'm so I'm I'm trying to just establish that it is a fair premise to note that mm. there is a huge gap between what the uh, industry is at, what is at least being reported about the industry versus mm-hmm. what is being um, uh, pundited about by the punditry. Yes, uh, huge gap. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I'm trying to figure out what this could be because there is very rarely a huge gap anymore about any of these things. Usually the the punditry sort of uh, falls in line a little bit and looks a little closer and sees that you know there's there's a reason or they maybe will defer a little bit to the to the experts or that where there are disagreements they're usually about small players like Casper Wells or Reed Johnson or some reliever or something like that. Mm-hmm. You you very rarely see a huge huge discrepancy anymore and with Headley it's it's huge and I feel like it's to some degree acknowledged but probably under acknowledged there's something uh if there is really a discrepancy that big like a 70 million dollar discrepancy between two players who uh, we generally don't think of as being dissimilar uh that seems interesting and worth looking at so Mm. basically then the possibilities here are that in fact the interest in Headley has been wildly underreported, and that in fact Headley is going to get a big contract. Maybe not a hundred million, but a lot. Like I don't know what would be a big contract for Headley. Sixty-eight. Let's say sixty-eight. Let's say uh-huh. a Victor Martinez or Melky Cabrera type contract. So that would be one possibility. One possibility is that uh, the stats that we have are somehow wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, or the third is that the stats that we all have uh, are right, but we're misinterpreting them or we're ignoring some key detail. And so I wanted to know what you think is likely and whether you've reevaluated, whether, I guess, whether the fact that Bowden 
has him going for three and twenty-seven has changed your opinion? I mean, assuming that Bowden has some insight into what he's going to get paid, does that change your opinion of Headley at all? Does it make you second second guess yourself at all? And finally, uh, we'll put it in the context of what the Red Sox are doing. Well, maybe it influences me a little bit in that all of the people who put free agent predictions out, or you know, the ones who actually report on this stuff, presumably they are talking to sources and front office people about what players are going to go for much more than I am. So they would have some insight into what the market for those players is. So sure, I guess it influences me a little bit, but I would guess that he still ends up with at least a, a Victor Martinez type deal. I mean, it's hard for me to see why why he wouldn't, <laughs> which is kind of what we're talking about. But is it is it the fact that he has followed a different trajectory than Sandoval? Is it that Headley is sort of seen as a disappointment in a sense in that he was an MVP candidate, a strong MVP candidate a couple of years ago, and now he's, you know, like half the player he was then, which is still a really good player. Well, but, but so is Sandoval. Right. I mean, well, right. Sandoval essentially had the same... Well, he had he had two years, I guess, where he was offensively what Headley was in yeah. that one year, but it was still even longer ago. It yeah. was it was 2011 the last time he hit like that. And 2009 is the other one you're referring yes. to, which you know, yeah, yeah, it's a long time ago. And so, right in the in the last couple years, I mean, even even last year with Headley being just a, a career worse hitter, at least when he was with the Padres, kind of bounced back with the Yankees. But even then, most of the, the value metrics had him as being better than Sandoval in total value. That's that's giving a lot of credit to his defense, although it, it certainly passes the eye test. Like just watching Headley after he was traded to New York this year, he does appear to be a really good third baseman. And so I don't know, he's, he's two years and three years, two years and three months older than Sandoval, which is maybe why he wouldn't get as many years and wouldn't get as high a total value. But I don't know, he's, he's also (laughs) better conditioned. So maybe some teams would believe that he would age better. Do you think that, yeah, do you think that the two years and three months gets discounted some because of that? I mean, what, yeah, I guess, sure what, do you, what do you think is the, what do you think is the math for, for every, you know, 30 pounds overweight you are, how many years? Yeah, of, uh, I don't know. I, curve, I think with Sandoval, it's like, it's almost that, well, one, I guess it's that he has played a somewhat defensively demanding position. If he had been a first baseman this whole time, maybe people wouldn't worry about it as much, but but he might have to move at some point. And if he moves, then he is no longer really much of a hitter. I mean, not, not much above average by the standards of DH or first base. And I feel like in his case, maybe the fact that he fluctuates so much is more scary than the fact that he has been overweight. If he were just the same amount of overweight every year, maybe it wouldn't be so scary. But the fact that he loses a bunch and then he gains back even more and he's constantly fluctuating and doesn't seem to have the ability to keep the weight off maybe that makes you worried about like his discipline 
and whether as he gets older and his metabolism slows down, he just won't have the the ability to regulate his weight and it could get completely out of control, like Movan style or Dimitri Young style or something. So I would say that I don't know if that makes up for the whole gap in age between them, but at least at least half of it. Yeah, at least half of it seems right, which then the difference between a what a twenty and a thirty year old. So I guess twenty eight and thirty one. So the difference between twenty eight and thirty one seems pretty loud. But the difference between twenty eight and twenty nine and a half or whatever mm-hmm. is not really. Mm-hmm. Uh I guess twenty nine and a half and thirty one. I don't know. I I'm not sure that I I guess uh if if I had to bet on who would be better in 5 years relative to what they are now. Uh-huh. I God, he's fat. He's really <laughs> he's really a big guy. He has been at times. <laughs> and and it's not like he's not a he doesn't seem to be a uh you know like He's not a comfortable fat. Like it's it's just a constant source of anxiety and stress with his team, with him. Yeah. Like you hear about it all through the season, all mm-hmm. through the off season, every year. Like mm-hmm. you don't get the sense that, well, he's just a big guy. You know, that's just his right. body type. You get like the sense. Prince that, Fielder yeah. kind of is different, right? Like no Prince one is different. No yeah. one ever really talks about Prince Fielder needs to lose weight. Prince Fielder is yeah. losing weight. So or Sabathia. Yeah, maybe a pitcher is a little a little different in that fielding the position is not quite as important. And you've had your David Wells types who seem to age pretty well. But but yeah, I I think fielder is maybe a good counter example. Um, do you believe that uh, these uh, to get Sandoval ahead? Of, well, okay, so there's not a big difference between their bats. In the past, even in the past two years, even if you even if you edit out Headley's best year, which is 2012, crop mm-hmm. it out. Uh, they're close to the same hitter over the past two years, mm-hmm. uh, and over the past three, and over the past four. Um, so to get Headley ahead of Sandoval, you need to basically believe that Headley is a very good defender, just like Sandoval has been a pretty good defender, sometimes a great defender. Um, and so one hypo- one you know one thing that you might think is that clubs have better information than we do on that and think that Headley is a very poor defender. Uh, Fra the baseball prospectus. Uh, sorry, Fra is the pitching one. What do we call Fra? <laughs> you just have to hold the A a little bit longer. Fielding runs above average. Uh, the baseball prospectus defensive metric uh, is very very negative toward Headley on defense. I think he's. He's been rated negatively every year of his career, huh. with the only exception being uh, the 58 games he played in New York last year, the ones you're describing, mm-hmm. uh, where he passed the AI test. Mm-hmm. Uh, he rated quite quite well there, like very, very, very well. But otherwise, it is all red from rookie year on down, nothing but red. Uh, and that's different from other systems. So like baseball reference, has him, um, you know, above average for his career with occasional great seasons. And, and really, like, since he turned 26, it's been almost all positive uh, and, you know, suggests a uh, maybe a gold glove finalist quality type defender. Whereas if you go to baseball prospectus, it's like uh, he's negative 31 runs in his career. 
so that's a, a reasonable possibility. Do you think that that is it, or is it not it? Is it possible that some of it is park effects? I mean, it's always it always seems silly to suggest that teams are ever fooled by park effects at this point when yeah. most writers are not fooled by them anymore. But it is interesting in their case because they've they've both played in pitchers' parks, but Sandoval has hit much better at home, whereas Hadley has hit much better on the road. And yeah, Sandoval has been 853 OPS career at home, 771 on the road. Hadley has been 711, 711, seven, yeah, and 799 on yeah. the road. So I wonder whether, and and they're both getting a benefit from park adjusted stats. Whereas you could you could either say that Sandoval shouldn't get that benefit from park adjusted stats that most players who play in San Francisco do, most hitters who play in San Francisco do. Or you could say that he is such an amazing at-home hitter that he would have been even better at, at home had he played in a better hitter's park. So it's it's tough. With Headley, you are, you are projecting that he would be better if he played a full season outside San Diego. And with Sandoval, the stats are sort of saying that, but his actual splits are not really saying that. So I don't know what that does to teams' perception of their offensive abilities. Yeah, I what you just said makes me think that Headley is even better. Right. Like it that could be, that, yeah. Mike Kruko was on KNBR this morning and he was talking about uh how if he were the Giants, he would be using the Giants park and the uh, NL West, all the parks in the NL West as part of their pitch, which I'm not sure would work because the pitch is basically that these are offense-suppressing parks. Your numbers will get worse. But uh, Kruko's point was that uh, they affect Sandoval less than other players and that Sandoval actually benefits from them, uh, relatively speaking, because he doesn't have a lot of elevation or loft in his swing, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got sort of this uh, line drive gaps power that plays really well in wide-open ballparks like that. And so I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe the numbers that you just cited are some evidence that it's true. Um, but if you're not one of those five teams in the NOS, or if you're not one of the three that plays in a wide open, or four that plays in a wide open park, uh, then that would seem to make him even less appealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's the other part. Uh, you, so that's interesting, because you were, you were sort of saying maybe clubs are fooled by park effects, whereas I was thinking maybe they have more insight into park effects. Yes, and yet having more insight would seem to work in Hitley's favor, unless no, you no, are unless you more, are the Giants. They have more insight. They you you can't judge their insight based on your insight. Uh-huh, the point is that they know things you don't know. Uh huh. I mean, well, don't you? I'm have, sure that's true. <laughs> you yeah. you basically have to to say one of three things, right? Either the reports of Hedley's value are way way off. Mm-hmm. Two. Clubs know more than we do, and they're making this decision based on factors that we somehow have not had access to. Mm-hmm. And three, an entire industry has this one blind spot where they're being very dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess 
four would be like to. Was I doing letters or numbers? Numbers. Okay. Four would be like to. So let's call it to be, which is that we're just wrong. Like we've been given the right answers right uh -huh. in front of us, and we're just dumb. You know, we're we're getting it wrong. Right. And so that's also a possibility. And frankly, if you look at Pakoda, um, which this is not a uh, ready to publish uh, run of Pakoda yet. It's mm -hmm. the initial run, and so you know, take it with a grain of salt, might change. But um, the initial Pakoda run has Headley at 1.7 warp next year and Sandoval at 2.7 warp next year. And uh, if you, for instance, don't count Panda's weight against him, and uh, so you you basically have a 27-year-old against a 30-year-old or 28-year-old against a 31-year-old uh, who starts a win ahead per year, uh, that doesn't quite make up a 30 to 100 million dollar difference, but it gets you, you know, pretty close. It, that's a, you know, over a five year period. That's like a probably 30 to 50 million dollar difference, depending on how you want to age each of them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the other possibility. Mm -hmm. Well, if I had to pick one as the most likely, I'd probably go with number one. Yeah. That the reports are off. Yeah, you're just you're just hoping, man. You're just rooting for it. <laughs> if I, I do have a small stake in the matter now. Very small stake. Yeah. It's, oh, Pablo just got so hungry thinking about a small stake. <laughs> it's the best kind of stakes. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, the Red Sox uh, apparently have signed Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval. Uh, do we know we, the the latter? We know no. Hanley seems done as we record now. What the latest is that Sandoval is going to make a decision today, but it's not final yet. But it was initially reported that he had signed with the Red Sox, so we're not exactly sure right now. But he seems that seems to be the most likely outcome. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. So, okay. uh, which of these surprises you more, and how much do them come? Do the two coming in tandem uh, <laughs> multiply the surprise factor? <laughs> yeah, I don't think either in isolation would particularly surprise me. It's it's the combo deal that that sort of does, um, just in the fact that you, I mean, it's almost impossible. If, if it is both signing f with the Red Sox, then it's, it's almost impossible to talk about it without forecasting future moves. It feels like we won't know the complete picture for weeks or months. In that if they are both on the team, then literally there is no position for some players and there there have to be some sort of trades because either either Hanley moves to I mean, if if Sandoval is there, then Hanley can't move to third. Presumably he is not going to continue playing short unless the Red Sox were also to to trade Bogarts and then there's got to be a Middlebrooks move in there somewhere. And then you're talking about moving Hanley to left field, presumably, which would probably work just fine in, in Boston in a small left field. Given his his defensive struggles, you're not really losing all that much in the, the positional adjustment alone. If he goes from shortstop to left, that will be counteracted somewhat by the fact that he would presumably be an okay left fielder whereas he is one of the worst shortstops so so that works but then you also have to forecast a, a trade of Cespedes or or Betts or 
someone. There has to be room made somewhere, and you're still not getting any clarity on the fact that they don't really have a starting rotation right now. So presumably that would mean another free agent signing or or a trade. One of these guys would be traded for for pitching, and that is a non-revelatory analysis right there. But so it, this is, even if it's both of these moves, it's just sort of the first or second domino of other dominoes. But you could see why why they want these guys. Is Napoli an under-discussed potential trade piece yeah, right Yeah, sure, probably. He's, is this his last year under contract? Or, and he's, uh, yeah, he's signed uh, next year for like $16 million. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess he would, he would have some value. But then, so what do you, what would you do at first base then? You would... Sandoval. Sandoval. So, see that... Yeah, that seems like you're you're wasting some of Sandoval's value, doesn't it? Only if you think that he's only if you think that he's a actually a really good defender and b likely to be. I mean, sometimes he is and sometimes he's not, and uh-huh. uh, he's a year older and probably a year a little bit fatter. Probably, but yeah, do you are you excited about Pablo Sandoval first baseman? Sure, Why not? offensively. Uh, I mean, I mean, he's. Uh, he's He's about as good as Napoli. Right, but you wouldn't sign Napoli for this much money, would you? If he were 27, if he were 28, you might. Mm. I mean, they're giving, they're giving him $16 million, Napoli $16 million right now. Uh-huh. They seem to be happy enough with that. Yeah, that was a short-term deal, though. But for Yeah, two years uh, for an old man. With a I don't, hip condition. I mean, it depends how... I, I does, Sandoval seems to me to be a... Well, yeah, okay. Uh, do I? Uh, mm, I don't know. It doesn't seem optimal, but it doesn't also seem like... There's nothing about the, having Pablo Sandoval at first that would make them incapable of winning a World Series or anything like that. I mean, he uh-huh. hits enough for a first no, baseman. It's not like he, a Brewers first base situation or anything. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have... They're, they're, there's, there's Somebody's going to be playing somewhere that you're surprised to see them at this point, it seems uh-huh. to me. Uh, is Xander Bogarts to AAA an under-discussed possibility? I haven't really seen it discussed much, so if it's a possibility, it's been under-discussed. Um, well, why, why shouldn't it be a possibility? He's a, uh, he's a poor defender. Mm. I think most people agree with that, although showing some improvement. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was not good last year. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's only, he's going to be 22 this year. Uh, I know that it's, it, is not a thing that is generally done, sending players back down after you give them a full season, uh, particularly when they're as heralded as he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's, at this point, he's the worst player on the depth chart by quite a bit. Not on the yeah. depth chart, but in the starting lineup. He's the worst player by quite a bit. So mm-hmm. you could trade him at, his, at, at perhaps his low value, or you can just pretend that he's still a prospect. If, he were, if he'd never come up and he were 21, it wouldn't be that weird to have a 22-year-old in AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying this is a great idea, by the way. I'm not defending this idea, but I it seems like uh, discussable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. It, it seems it seems strange in that he was regarded as such a polished product who was going to be great immediately and seemed to be good in the playoffs as a rookie and everything. But 
but that surprise has already happened that he wasn't quite as ready to excel as everyone expected him to be. So, so perhaps, but then that means continuing to play Hanley at shortstop, which we don't know if they would be willing to do. And their entire lineup really right now with, with the Sandoval situation still unresolved as we record is right-handed. I mean, they're, they're only hitter at this moment, if we assume that the Hanley deal is done, but Sandoval is not. Their only left-handed hitter is David Ortiz, and maybe maybe that doesn't matter quite as much as it once might have in a, in a shift-heavy era, or maybe it doesn't hurt as much in Fenway as it might other places, but it still seems like a situation that would have to be addressed at some point, and maybe Sandoval is his part of that answer but yeah i don't know it's it'll be interesting to watch the rest of the moves that they make because right now it seems like they have maybe one of the best lineups in the league with either with either either one of those guys really let alone both of them and not not that type of pitching not that caliber of pitching so seems like there would have to be multiple pitching moves made for them to contend right away. So it'll be on, uh, uh, an interesting rest of the offseason. Yeah. Uh, Bogart's uh, final 85 games hit 199, 230, 300. Yeah. Uh-huh. With that, so. So, yeah, maybe you could play Hanley for a while at short unless, uh, unless Bogart's really turns it on in AAA, and then you can consider a move at that point. Maybe you have the freedom not to trade someone until the deadline. Yeah. But right now you've got a rotation fronted by Clay Buckholtz and Joe Kelly, so something needs to happen there. Yeah, sorry, I was just tweeting instead of <laughs> doing it. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what I was tweeting about, though. Okay. I'm just uh, reading the article about uh, Pablo Sandoval as a left-handed pitcher. <laughs> What article is that? Uh, the he well, you know he's ambidextrous, right? Uh huh. And you know he always wanted to pitch. You didn't know that, but I'm telling you that. And so in <laughs> August, uh, in August, the Mercury News uh, filmed him throwing a bullpen session as a lefty, <laughs> and published that. So I see. So that seems to be the plan. So he can be a two-way player. Could well or one way, just the one maybe. <laughs> uh huh. And one more thing about Sandoval that listener Matt Trueblood noted on his blog. Matt recalled a presentation by Vince Gennaro, who is the president of Sabre and a consultant to teams, the author of Diamond Dollars. A few years ago in Minneapolis, I was not at this presentation, but I'm pretty sure I saw the same presentation at a different conference, where he looked into whether certain hitters are able to hit high caliber pitching better than others, whether there's any tendency for certain guys to, say, feast on bad pitching and punish good pitching, that sort of thing. And Sandoval was the example he found of a player who hits good pitching. So perhaps there's something to that. Maybe teams have looked into that further and found that there is something to Sandoval, that his hot hitting in the playoffs to this point is not completely a fluke and that he would be expected to be a slightly better postseason hitter relative to his usual talent level than Headley. Something to mention. 
probably not a huge factor, but this is a puzzle, so we're trying to collect all of the pieces we can. Okay. All right, so some news will break immediately after we stop recording that perhaps will clarify the situation slightly, but probably not all that much. So we will be back later this week, right? We'll do a Wednesday show for the the most the busiest travel day of the year. People will need podcasts on the road. And then we will take Friday off, presumably. But we will be back later this week. We encourage you to support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to The Play Index, using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Now well over 2,000 listeners in there, thanks to a big tweet from Sam telling people to join, or not really telling people to join, but telling them that they had the option to join. And please send us some emails for the listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And that is all for today.